0: This morning, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing our series this morning on our vision, just laying that out. And we just want to continue to contemplate this and think about it. Uh, We we want this to be ingrained deeply, woven deeply into the fabric of of this church. What I want us to see this morning is that this vision, though, maybe we're stating it differently than it's been stated before maybe the fact that we're trying to state it over and over again and and have a mission statement in and of itself, uh, maybe that all is, is new. But what I want us to see this morning is, as we consider the history of our church here, Union Baptist Church, what I want us to see is that this mission is not a new mission. This vision is not a new vision for Union Baptist Church. It may be something that From time to time, we've lost or forgotten or gotten off track, but it is the vision that has been with this church from its founding days and right through to today. It's the reason that we are here this morning. And so I want to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning at verse number 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, For by it, the people of old received their commendation. And the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 goes into what some have referred to as the great hall of faith. And it goes back and it recounts stories from the Old Testament, stories like Abraham and how he left his land when God called him out, stories like Moses and how he chose rather to suffer with the people of Israel than to enjoy the luxuries of Egypt. And it goes on through, it talks about prophets, it talks about many heroes from the Old Testament, the rest of chapter uh, 11. And what, what we see here is that they were commended by God. They received God's approval for, for by it, they received this condemnation. What was it that led them to receive this, condemn, or this commendation, not condemnation? Uh, that, that was a little bit of a slip there. Uh, but this commendation, what led them to receive this commendation is that they were faithful. They acted in faith. Faith is the assurance of things, hope for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, The people of old received commendation. What was it that led Moses to willingly walk away from all that he had in Egypt, the comforts and luxuries, and go be identified with God's people? It was his faith in the Lord. What was it that Abraham would cause him to leave this this nice home that he had and all that he had and strike out and leave his family and go to a place that God had never even called him, he had never even revealed to him yet. He just said, go and I'll show you where you're going. What was it that led Abraham to do that? It was his faith in the Lord. And what we see then in chapter 12 as we move forward is that after recounting all those stories and many, many more stories from the Old Testament, we get Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, For therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, hold, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you see the way that he's operating there? He's saying, look, these people of old were commended by God because they acted in faith. And he goes through and he recounts story after story. And then he comes to chapter 12, verse one. He says, now let us do the same thing since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. And, and, and it's as if they're up in the stands watching us and, 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 and cheering us on their 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 legacy their faith their acts are, are are all compelling us let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us and certainly the writer of the book of hebrews i think here in a unique way is pointing us to those faithful men and women in in the scriptures the the faithful men and women of the old testament But I think there's a right application of this passage to say that anytime we look back to men and women who have been used faithfully of God, I think the same rule applies. As we look to their faithfulness and the way that they ran the race and the way that they They followed the Lord in faith and lived in faith and and had such a great impact in their faith. As we look to them, what we need to understand is that that calls to us that we also would run the race that's set before us. As we consider uh, Christians from, from bygone eras and we consider the works that they've accomplished by God's grace through their faith. It compels us, it it puts an impetus upon us to do likewise, to live in the same way. And I think as we consider the history of Union Baptist Church, and I've had the the joy of doing this a couple weeks back, I started, and I would encourage all of you, I've got this booklet, there was a a history of our church that was compiled uh, from records and, and different accounts. Uh, back in 1985 by Wendell Rohn. and uh, it's not very long, maybe a little over 100 pages, but uh, you know, it's it's really interesting, and this church is almost 200 years old. That's a, a long history uh, for churches, and uh, there, there's a lot of details, a lot of things that are forgotten, but as I read that, uh, it, and, and I was in Studying in preparation for this series on our vision and, and preaching on this, I didn't really have an intention of talking about this. I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd like to read this. So I was reading through it. And I was just compelled that this vision that we have, this, this vision that we're trying to put forth before our, our people is a vision that goes all the way back to the beginning. And so what I want to do this morning is just take some lessons and, and some things that I've seen from them and, and from our history, share those with us this morning so that we're aware of our history but then also so that we can understand the cloud of witnesses that's gone on before us i had a church history professor uh that that was fond of saying you know a lot of people don't care much about history and in some ways that can get us into trouble Uh, not only the history of our particular church but christian history and just history in general and uh, one of the things that he would tell people is that you, you do know that, that Christianity and the church actually started before your grandma, right? There, there was stuff that happened uh, in, in the past 2,000 years, and it started before your, your grandma or your grandpa. The history of the church goes back 2,000 years, obviously, to the time of Christ. But as we here at Union Baptist, one thing we need to recognize is that there's a lot that's gone before us. There are men and women who have served faithfully and the reason that we can be here today and worshiping the reason that we have the gospel here is because men and women were faithful to to keep this church going there were men and women who were faithful to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to us in this area and so i want us to consider that I, i'm just going to you know there's a lot that could be said there there were about 3 or 4 people that really stood out to me as i, I read and i think they typify and they they give an example of someone or people who who had a passion for growing disciples of Jesus Christ. I'll start with the one of the founders of our church, Thomas Downs. He was born in Nelson County, later moved to Muhlenberg County, and then into Davis County after he married. Uh, he was the pastor actually at Rock Spring, which is also, it was Yelvington Baptist Church, and he pastored there in Yelvington for 26 years, and Obviously, for if you've studied history, you know, there, there were, were not enough pastors, and this was a new area. This is a frontier at that time, right? This is the Wild West, and so churches are being founded. There was a shorter shortage of pastors, so many of these pastors would, would pastor multiple churches. So he pastored mainly at Yelvington, but he also pastored Buck Creek, Bells Run, Pleasant Grove, Bethel Church in Spencer County, and Mount Zion, which was the first Baptist church here in, in Hancock County. And not all of those were at the same time, but some of them were. Uh, this, this was a man, though, that had a heart for making disciples. I'm not sure why that's doing that. We'll try that, and if it doesn't quit, then we'll turn it off again. So this was a man that had a heart for making disciples. This was a man who who shared our vision of, of growing disciples. He had a heart and a passion for it. This is what J.H. Uh, Spencer, in his history, his biography of this man said, uh, he said this, but his work was not that much of, of a pastor as it was of a tireless pioneer missionary. He bore the standard of the cross among the early settlers both on both sides of the Ohio River from the mouth of the Green River a, a hundred miles up the Ohio and over, uh, over a belt of country about a hundred miles wide. In this region he gathered many He gathered many of the early churches. He was, in other words, a church planner. He founded many churches and supplied them with occasional preaching till they could procure pastors. Another person who wrote about them, the man that put together and compiled our our history, said this. He assisted in constituting the following churches. Union, that's us, Pleasant Grove, First Baptist Church in Owensboro, Bells Run, Greenbrier, Greenbrier, Blackford, Ohio, Little Pigeon in Indiana, Mount Liberty, Brushy Fork, Mount Carmel, and Macedonia. He was also integral in in starting and founding four different associations around, around the area. This was a man who was busy serving the Lord this was a man who was busy making disciples of Jesus Christ that's what drove him that's what motivated him that's why somebody would travel when when it was not easy to travel and go a hundred miles this way and that way founding churches up and down the Ohio River on both sides it was a man who who had the commission of Jesus Christ burned in his heart a man who heard the words of Jesus go into all the world and make disciples and he knew that that meant that he was called to do something And he did it. And we are here this morning. The gospel is in Hancock County this morning being preached because of this man and other men like him. He did this. He did all of this work, despite the fact that it was not easy. In fact, his life was a life in many respects that was marked by severe trials. Early on in his life, his his father was killed uh, near his home in, in Calhoun in McLean County. And then Spencer, again, writes this about him. He says he raised a large family of children, all girls but one. That wasn't the suffering part, but uh, no doubt that that provided some difficulties. <laughs> he, he raised a large family of children, all girls but one, and was so extremely poor that he had to do much of his traveling on foot. We just said that he traveled 100 miles east and west, 100 miles the other way, on both sides of the Ohio River. Much of it he did on foot. And often barefoot. This is what his successor wrote of him at, at Yelvington, the, the pastor who came after him. He says, Many times, uh, many a time, he has plowed hard five days in the week and then walked from Greenbrier to Rock Spring a distance of 25 miles and preached two hours, shoeless and coatless, sometimes but to, to but few hearers, and once to only three sisters. Such was the labor and lot of this consecrated servant of Christ during a ministry of nearly 50 years. That one boy that he had, uh, that we said he had all girls except one boy, his, his only son was found killed in, in the woods. He had gone out to look for uh, a horse and was, was killed and found hung by a bridle. Around that time, the history also notes that several other of his children died as, as a result of an epidemic that swept through the area in in a short period of time he lost his son several other children he's traveling this isn't easy he's not in his his Lexus or his Toyota with air conditioning going to to preach he's, he's traveling walking oftentimes without shoes without a coat going to preach to just a few people why would somebody do that why would somebody, I mean, he had one church. He, he could have just been content. Like, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to take it easy. I'll have my little farm, my little garden. I'll, I'll, I won't go too far from home and kind of have a life of ease. But he chose not to do that. He chose to do that. He, he chose to go and to preach the gospel and to plant churches. This was a man who believed in growing disciples. This was a man who heard the commission of Jesus Christ and obeyed it. May we be like this man. He did it also despite not being a greatly gifted man. Again, Spencer says of of Thomas Downs, he says, Mr. Downs was not regarded as a great preacher, even at the time in which he lived. I guess their standards maybe were a little bit lower. Uh, He was uneducated in the scholastic sense of the term, but he was a close, prayerful reader of the Bible. And few men of his times were better acquainted with the sacred oracles he possessed only medium talents, but his heart was thoroughly educated and deeply imbued with the grace of God, and he was a tireless laborer in the gospel of Christ. Wendell Roan writes about Union Baptist Church and its connection. Union Baptist Church still lives as a monument to his faithful labors. This was not a man that was some gifted order. This was not some great preacher, but he was a man who had a heart for God's word. He had a heart for Jesus Christ and for the Lord and for making disciples. And he went and preached. What, what a, a, a testimony. What a part of that great cloud of witnesses that stands. And, and, and we think, you know, sometimes we complain. Sometimes I complain. Well, this is kind of hard. We don't have anything on somebody like this. And, and the effort that he would put into to going and making disciples. The second person was a man named Reuben Cottrell. Uh, this was actually the first pastor of, of Union Baptist Church. Uh, around about the same time as, as Thomas Downs, they worked together to found this church, and then Reuben Cottrell became the, the first pastor. He moved to Kentucky from Shelby County, or from Virginia to Shelby County, Kentucky, He worked as a missionary in the Long Run Association, which is up near Louisville. And it says this uh, of him, during these labors, he became deeply imbued with the spirit of missions, which led him to visit many points of destitution on both sides of the Ohio River. In 1832, he made a tour down the Ohio River as far as the Yellow Banks. The next year, he moved to Davis County and settled on a farm. He accepted a call to Bethabara Church a revival followed almost immediately and 80 individuals were added to the church. In 1834, there was a great revival in the Goshen Association, which is what we were originally a part of. 349 baptisms reported and three new churches established in five months. And Union Baptist Church was one of those churches that was established out of that great revival. Union, Pleasant Grove, and actually Owensboro, First Baptist. Thomas Downs and Reuben Cottrell served as the presbyteries for all three of those churches. They were they were integral in the founding of all three of those churches. A few other notable facts to run through quickly: uh, this man that was our first pastor was also the founder and first pastor of First Baptist Church in Owensboro. So there's a connection there. I th- I thought was was pretty neat. He he went and uh, there it says there was a barbecue on July 4th in Owensboro, and he went and preached. And so some things don't change, right? We're still eating barbecue and still celebrating the 4th of July, but he went and preached the gospel and a revival broke out and he founded uh, First Baptist Church of of Owensboro, served there again at the same time as he's serving here at Union. He served as the pastor there at, at Owensboro. Another thing that stood out to me was in the the record and reading about this man. This was a man who opposed the anti-missionary movement. There was a a movement among Baptist churches that kind of had this idea that, you know, if God's going to save people, he'll save people. We don't need to do anything about it. We don't need to go preach the gospel to them. God will get the gospel to them if he wants the gospel to be to, to be heard by them and so we don't need to send out missionaries we don't we don't need to do all of these make all of these efforts but he opposed that anti-missionary movement and he himself obviously was a missionary then his uh, another notable fact I thought was his son uh, son-in-law married his daughter Hardin Haynes Ellis actually became the second pastor of this church and also pastor founded in Pastor Lewis Baptist Church. And I haven't been out. It's been so wet and muddy. I wanted to go out to the to the cemetery, but he his so this would be his son-in-law and his daughter are buried out here in, in our cemetery. Uh, if if the marker is still there. This too was a man who had a passion for Jesus Christ. He had a passion for making disciples. Wendell Rohn wrote of him Union Baptist Church still stands as memorial as a memorial for his faithful service as we move forward i'm going to jump forward as that's just the founding but i'm going to jump forward a hundred years to what i think is another crucial time there's a lot that happened in between there and if you want to get the history and read through it but but in 1960 we come to what might be termed a dark period in in the church's life there was a pastor uh, Leon Young, that was here for three years. It seems to be somewhat of a, a turbulent time from the the records. Uh, he resigned, and then they called him back, and it, and then finally he resigned again a second time, and and that that time was for good. There there seems to be some some turmoil in the church at that period. Uh, but all of this really left our church, and some of you now are are old enough that we're getting into to some of your time. And uh, I, all, all I have is the record and, and what's been written down. So somebody might be able to correct some of this. But at, at this time, uh, it seems that the church is almost at a state of being dead. This is what Wendell Rohn wrote about uh, that period of time. He says, at this point, Union Church reached a low ebb spiritually and otherwise. From all indications, no business meetings were held from February 1963 through July 1965. So over two years The church had no pastor, no services were held, and no reports were made to the Blackford Association. Tradition states that weeds grew up and abounded around the house of worship. The 1961 report showed that the church had 99 members with 34 of them being non-resident and 65 resident. A total of 15, only 15 out of that number, attended the last business meeting. So here we have for, for two years... Uh, a, a church that is not holding services, not, not meeting. It sounds to me as if the, the church from, from that re- record of it is just on the brink of extinction. But there were two men uh, that I think had a passion and a desire for the Lord, a desire to grow disciples as we're talking about, and it led them to take notice and, and, and it called them to action. These men were were Charles Smith, the pastor of Hallsville Baptist, and one of their deacons, Lee Drew Mayfield. It says the, the plight of Union Baptist Church gripped the heart of Charles Smith, pastor of Hallsville Baptist, and he and an interested layman in the church, Lee Drew Mayfield, approached the Union Church about making efforts to revitalize the work. And so Charles Smith came here, pastor of Hallsville Baptist, but came here. And, and began to preach. He, from I've heard this from other people that they would hold services earlier and then he would go back to Hallsville and, and preach. And he did that for, for looks like several years, all the way from, from about 63 up to uh, 71 or maybe 72 according to the records. Again, Wendell Rohn writes this. He says, Brother Smith continued serving through 1971. His was a notable and sacrificial service ever to be remembered by the church. Again, here is a man that he didn't have to do that, right? These these two men, they they had lives, they had things they could have done and and yet there was something within him that called and recognized there's a church that is falling apart, a church that is on the brink of, of death, really. If something isn't done, there are souls that need to hear the gospel. And, and he takes it upon himself, these two men, to come and preach the gospel and serve this church for several years. In nineteen ninety or 1966, there were 10 additions by baptism, and it seems that things pick up from that point forward. But But it seems to me, as I'm looking at our history, that we wouldn't be here if it weren't for these two men coming out and and reviving and revitalizing the work that was here. We truly stand on the shoulder of giants. We have a great cloud of witnesses, and I think it calls to us to take the similar action, to be concerned, to to make disciples, to grow disciples. We need to, we, we truly do, I think, need to learn from the past, there are many highlights. Again, I'd encourage you to read through and, and find out more about our, our history. But humanly speaking, listen, humanly speaking, do you understand this? We owe our existence as a church, and many of us perhaps owe, owe our faith in one sense to these men who were faithful, who heeded the call of God to come and preach the gospel. Some of you here would not be, would not be believers in Jesus Christ, humanly speaking, apart from the work of these men. And so we need to recognize that. We need to give thanks to God for the men and women who have served here ahead of us. But we also need to recognize we have, we have an obligation to future generations to do the same thing. We have a, an obligation to those who will come after us to continue to be faithful, to preach the gospel, and to make disciples. We truly need to learn from the past. But the second thing that we see this morning is that we don't need to live in the past. We need to learn from the past, but we cannot live in the past. There's a danger when we begin thinking about what, what has happened and what has gone on and, and who's been here and who's not here and these kind of things. There's a danger for us to begin to idolize the past in a way that is unhealthy. Uh, sometimes we can, we can dwell on the past and it causes us uh, to not be effective in the present. We think of the, the good old days that, that used to be so much better and, and how things are not as good as they used to be. And when we begin to talk and think in that way, it, it limits us. It hinders us from faithful service where we are now. So we need to be careful not to do that. First of all, we just need to recognize what is a truth from Scripture, and that is the good old days weren't so good. Yeah, there, there were highlights, Yes, there were great things that happened. Yes, the work of God went on. Yes, there are things that we can celebrate about our history. But in doing that, we also don't need to paint too rosy of a picture as if everything was always wonderful and good. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Don't say, those were the good old days. They were so much better than they things are now. He's saying that's not wise because you're not recognizing that, yes, there were some good moments in the past, but there were also some very hard times in the past. And if we have an honest and objective view about history, we recognize that we can be in danger of doing what the children of Israel did. You, you remember the Lord brought them out of Egypt and, and you remember they're, they're in slavery, right? And, and Pharaoh was a ruthless taskmaster. And they cried out to the Lord and they pleaded with the Lord for deliverance. And the Lord brings them out of out of Egypt. He he sends Moses, as we talked about this from the Hall of Faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11, he sends Moses to Pharaoh. Let my people go. He sends the plagues. And finally, Pharaoh sends the people out and they go and they come to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh has an immediate change of heart and he sends his army out. Go get them. And they begin to see the army riding toward them. And just like that they turn on moses and they turn against the lord and they say why did you bring us out it would have been better if we had stayed in egypt why did you do this you know again when you hit turmoil and you hit difficulty, and you hit trials in the present, what we can be tempted to do is try to find an escape in some alternate reality we call the past, but it's not really true reality. We, we create this fictional land where everything was so wonderful, and we just think, if we could just get back then, if we could just get back to those days when everything was so good, if we were still in Egypt, th- things would be better. We need to be careful that we don't do this. Of course, we know the rest of the story. God delivered them. God parted the waters and they went through. And on the other side, they worshiped and praised God like nothing ever happened, right? Oh, we, you know, all that stuff about better being in Egypt, nah, we were just joking, right? Here we go. We're going to praise the Lord. But it wasn't just any time. And they do the same thing again. They get to the point where they don't have food and they're hungry. And they're concerned about starvation. They're concerned that they're going to die in the wilderness. And they do the very same thing again. They say to Moses in Exodus chapter 16, Moses, why did you come? Why why did you come bring us out of Egypt? It would be better that we were slaves in Egypt. At least in Egypt, we got to sit around and have plenty of food. There, we had meat pots, we had, we had plenty of bread in Egypt, and you've brought us out here, and we're just going to starve in the wilderness. Things were so much better in Egypt. How foolish. You were slaves, you were beaten, you were forced in labor, and, and, and all of those things, and yet now you're wishing, just because your stomach's growling a little bit, you're, you're wishing that you could go back and be slaves in Egypt. How foolish. How foolish. But that's what all of us are tempted to do. When we hit trials in the present, especially as we get older, we're tempted to go back and think, man, those days were so wonderful. Everything was so great. If we could just get back then. But that's not the truth. That's not reality. Michael Eaton says this of of this incident in the life of Israel. He says, to evaluate the time may be needful. There are certainly some things we could critique about the time in which we live. But he says to ask specifically for days gone by is wrong and foolish. One cannot face the difficulties of one age by pining for another. That's not the way that we face trials. We, we can't just go backwards. In, in those days, we're not as good as we might assume. As we think about that in the life of our church, perhaps you might be tempted to think, you know, there's times that were better in the life of our church. There are things that are gone, people that are gone practices that are gone that I miss and those seem to be the better days if we could just get back to those better days that's that's one of the great dangers for so many churches is to think the way forward is to move back if we if we want to get things right again if we want things to be going well what we need to do is get back to 1970 or 1960 or 1950 if we could just get back to when brother so-and-so was here or when these people were here if we could do that then everything would be wonderful but that's not the case either. Even as we think about these times in histories that I've just mentioned, and we might say in in some regards were some of the highlights of our history, at those very same times, there are things that that we would recognize are not good. So what days do we want to go back to? Do we want to go back to those founding days of the church when there were men who were so passionate about preaching the gospel and making disciples? One of the things that I found in our history, though, from from that time was, was discouraging to me And not a good thing at all. In those founding days, there was obviously in in this area, slavery was a part of, of the history here. The associational records for this time shows that in 1851, there were four black members, but that number rose all the way to 26 out of 102 members in 1853. 26, nearly a quarter of the members of this church in 1856 were slaves. The fact, first of all, the fact that in our historical records we have a, a distinct number of how many black people and how many white people were here, that's problematic in and of itself, right? It denotes that there's some, some fundamental difference between black people and white people. It, it, it talks about and, and displays the racism that, that was here. But even worse than this reality is that these individuals were owned as if they were property by members of this church and this community, so as we think about, oh, look, think about those wonderful days when men were making disciples and founding churches and church planning and, uh, you know, all these hundreds of people were baptized in one year and, and three churches. If we could just get back to those days, well, those days were the good old days unless you were black, right? And then they weren't so good after all. Each Each period of time has its own sin and its own struggles. The way forward is not to move back. We could move forward and we could think about, uh, later in, in that time period and during the Civil War. And though Union Baptist Church was not directed, uh, directly affected, yet the general conditions of, of our area affected the, the people of this church. Hancock County was a county that was divided over the use of slaves. Uh, I'll read this just because I, I thought it was really interesting. He says, those who owned slaves farmed the large acreage in the bottomlands of the Ohio River, Blackford, and Caney Creeks the ridge top farmers in the uplands of the county neither used slave nor were strongly in favor of it. In consequence, the populace of Hancock County was divided in sentiment during the Civil War, and this reached into families, and no doubt it reached into church families. There was division. You think we have political divisions now. We've got Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives. Just imagine if your son is going to fight with the Union Army and your neighbor's Uh, son is is going to fight with the Confederate army. Just think about the tension that that would create both in the community and within our, our local church. Again, there might be things that we that we admire about that time, but we also need to recognize that those were not necessarily the good old days. Yes, there were highlights, but there were also quiet periods throughout our history where no records were sent to the association. It seems like things are dead at different moments. We could go back, you know, the time when when the church was on the brink of extinction. And even more recently, there have been difficulties in the life of this church within the last decade. Again, these are things we probably don't even need to rehash because there are still wounds that are too fresh. There are still people in the community that remember that used to attend here that no longer attend here. So, So let's not pine away for the good old days. When things were better, let's think about, let's let's look to our history, let's admire what is good, and let's emulate those who are faithful in making disciples, but let us not be fooled into thinking that there was some time period that was better in the life of the church. You see, when we idolize the past, we certainly want to learn from the past, but we don't want to live in the past, because when we idolize the past, we fail to see how God is working in the present. We fail to see how God is working in the present. I'll, I'll go back to one more story from the history of Israel. And, and that is the time Solomon built this great ornate temple. The people of Israel kept sinning. Finally, uh, the, the Babylonians come in and they destroy that temple. I mean, it's just down to the ground. Uh, later on, they, the people of Israel are allowed to return to Israel and to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple, but it is, it is so much smaller. It is not nearly as beautiful or as grandiose as Solomon's temple, and there were there were some people in the congregation of Israel who were old enough. They had lived through the exile. They remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. So all the people get together after the foundation of this new temple has been laid, and they're all cheering. All the young people, yes, we're back in Jerusalem. We're praising the Lord because this foundation has been laid. And the older people who remember what Solomon's temple looked like, they're not cheering they're crying, they're weeping and wailing because they say this is nothing compared to, to what was going on back in Solomon's day. This is not even a fraction of the beauty or the size of what Solomon's temple was. But God rebuked those people and he, he told them in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, not to despise the day of small things. And what we understand from that story is that There was a work of God going on in that time. In fact, even though the temple was smaller and and even though it wasn't as beautiful as the temple of Solomon, something much greater was going to happen in that temple because that's the temple that God was going to send his son into. And that was the temple that Jesus would go into and preach the gospel and, and, and invite people into the kingdom of God. God was at work in that moment, but some of the people couldn't celebrate it because they were too busy looking to the past. And that's what we can be in danger of if we idolize the past. We think about the good old days and we miss what God is doing right now in the present. God is always at work. There might be things that you remember 5 or 10 or 20 or 50 years ago and you think that was wonderful. And maybe it was. You think that was better. Maybe it was better. But don't get so fixated on that that you fail to see what God is doing here and now. You may, you may miss people who are, are no longer here, people who have moved on. Either they've died or moved away or just they, they've decided to, to go elsewhere. And, and I can sympathize with that. I, I've had that same experience as I've gone back to my home church that I've grown up in and seen people pass away and a lot of times don't even get to go to the funerals. But but you just go back and you notice there's an absence and there's other people who have moved on. I can sympathize with that, but let's not get so fixated on that that we fail to see what God is doing here and now. God is at work in Union Baptist Church. There are some people who are no longer here. I understand that, and that can be a sorrowful thing, but let's focus on who is here now. Let's focus on the work of God that He has laid before us in this moment and in this time. We're called to make disciples of the people who are here, not to not to fixate on the people who are no longer here. When we live in the past, we fail. Secondly, we fail to be effective in the present. You know, God never commends anyone for sitting around and complaining that things are not as good as they used to be. And you may be right. You may be right, but God never commends that. That's never a good attitude to have. There's nothing wrong with fondly remembering Past days. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But what becomes a problem is when we become paralyzed by thinking about what used to be and not being obedient with what is here now. We're called to be disciple makers in the present. You know, a lot of you, probably over some of you that have been here longer, have seen a, a great deal of change in, in this church, a great deal of turnover and, and all of that. Times change, people changes. But listen, the work of God continues. Let's appreciate our past. Let's celebrate what what is positive. But let us allow that to drive us to be disciple makers in the present. As we think about our mission, that's what we're called to do. We are here at Union Baptist Church. We exist now in the present for this moment, for this time to grow disciples in community. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great cloud of witnesses. We just want to give thanks this morning, Lord, for those who have gone before us. We recognize that we truly do stand uh, on the shoulders of, of giants. We praise you for their faithfulness. We praise you for the fact that you allowed your grace to work through them. And we recognize, Lord, that we owe a, a great debt of gratitude, not only to the men that we, that we talked about, but to many, many more men and women who have been faithful to, to have the gospel here and to make disciples. We are here as a result of their labors and their effort. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would put within our hearts a passion and a desire To live this out in the same way. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.